0: This is the Mosaic Church Podcast. Mosaic Church is committed to making disciples that discover Christ, connect in Christian community, and serve others and the world. Uh, We're going to start out this morning uh, reading out of the book of Ephesians, chapter 4. We're going to do verses 1 through 7. I'll give you a moment to turn there um, if you have your Bibles. And I always like to read out of the ESV, but it's... Basically, going to say the same thing, regardless of what version you have. Um, And Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 7 says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Uh, Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the insight that it gives to our lives. Even uh, though it was written thousands of years ago by many hands, your miraculous power makes it relevant even to today. And I pray that, as we dive into your word and into your message to us today that it would enlighten us and bring meaning to our lives and show us the path that you've laid out for us. In your name I pray, amen. So I want to share some statistics with you guys this morning. Um, they may, yeah, there we are. Okay, 37.9% of adults that's ages 25 year and older have a bachelor's degree or higher. It's a pretty decent number. These are all within the United States, these statistics. So that number is probably going to change if we look go- globally. About 38% of people who start going to college, they enroll in college, actually finish and gain, gain their degree. Oh, I'm sorry, I said that wrong. Do not finish. So about two-thirds of the people that go to college will graduate, and about a third will not graduate. Um, from various circumstances I would imagine, but about 30 to 40% of college graduates, and that number can vary depending on the age group you're looking at, but it's around 30 to 40% are what we would call underemployed. So that means that they're working in a job that doesn't require a college degree. So they went to college, but then they ended up working in a job that doesn't require, didn't require that step. Only about 27% of people who have graduated from college are actually using their degree. So that means that they have a job that requires the specific degree that they they gained. So you could think maybe certain teachers require a specific degree. Obviously college professors are going to require a specific degree. Doctors, certain trades that require college degrees will, you'll have to go on a specific track. But The majority of people who graduate college aren't using their degree specifically. It doesn't mean they're not using it at all, but their job isn't directly tied to it. Um, Speaking of workers, about 50% of workers are what this survey calls very satisfied. Of course, this is going to be a very subjective term, right? Uh, And I imagine it's one of those things where you get the five five choices. Are you very satisfied? Are you somewhat satisfied? Are you neutral? Are you somewhat dissatisfied? Are you are you very dissatisfied? So whoever knows how to answer those things, but only about half the people that took these surveys would say that they're very satisfied. Uh, Whereas around 15% of workers say they're not satisfied at all in their job. And the, the last statistic that I have for you is about half of workers get a sense of identity from their job. So there's a lot of conclusions we can begin to draw from these statistics, right? You maybe uh, they weren't really feeling it that day when they took it or whatever, maybe they're not satisfied because they're not getting enough money, the work is fine but they're underpaid, you know, whatever. We don't really know all the things that lead to these choices. But something that stands out to me in all of these statistics that I just shared with you is that a large portion of Americans have or are currently struggling with what they might call their calling in life. And I feel confident in making that assessment when I look at these statistics because I'm one of those statistics. I went to college. I got my degree. I actually started a graduate program. I did not finish. um, And then I got a job out of college working in fast food and I'm not using my degree at all, and I've been at various times somewhat satisfied with my job or highly dissatisfied. I don't know that I would ever say that I was very satisfied with my job. Right now, I'm kind of right in that middle ground, that easy, comfortable middle ground where I'm like, hey, it meets my needs, and that's really all I need from my job. So as you probably have figured out already, I want to talk to you this morning about this idea of calling, and I want to talk to you about it this morning because it is a deeply personal issue to me. It is something that I have found myself struggling with almost my entire life. And when Mario first gave us the list of topics that he wanted us to pick and choose from for this summer series, I saw that one and I immediately shied away from it. I was like, no, uh-uh. I am not qualified to talk about that. Um, and I actually picked a different one, which you've already heard me give was which was uh, worshiping in spirit and truth. The funny thing about that is, I did not feel qualified to talk about that either. I've always felt like that has been a struggle in my life, but I felt like I had been given some insight into it. And lo and behold, after thinking about it, I felt the same thing about calling. You see, I noticed something when I was in school, that the best teachers are not people that get the subject matter right away. Like, I got, I was, I was, you know, grade A student all the way through high school. I got everything, like, easy. I barely had to study. This is not a brag. Um, people would come to me and say, hey, can you help me with this? And I'm like, I know, because I have no idea why you're struggling with that. Why can't you just get it? But then I would see some people who, like, fought with the material. They had to wrestle with it. They had to, like, really, like, figure out tricks and mnemonics and, you know, little things with their fingers or whatever. And those people could teach other people who are struggling with it in a way that I could never dream of. See, the best teachers are people who wrestle with the material, wrestle with the subject matter. And let me tell you, I have wrestled with my calling. So I feel like I'm in a place, again, I, like, I'm kind of in this comfortable little ground where, where I feel like I kind of have a good idea I wouldn't say I'm an expert, but God has definitely done some work in my life in this area. And so you guys might be in for a little bit this morning. I just want to warn you, I might run a little long because like I said, this is a very deep personal topic to me. Um, So buckle up. (laughs) So why did I struggle with my calling? I think it's because, as a kid, I kind of had a skewed idea of what a calling was. You see, my dad worked in the same job, like, my entire childhood. He worked at the same job for, like, 25 years, and it was a job he wanted in college. Like, he went to college knowing exactly what he wanted to do with his life. Uh, My oldest brother is an architect, and he decided to be an architect in the second grade. Like, he knew, like, right away. He'd only been, like two years in school, and he already knew where the rest of his school was going to take him, and he did it. He is an architect. He has his own firm. He is successful. So, you know, these are things that are kind of teaching me. Like, I'm, I'm looking at the people in my life. My second brother, his name is Peter, is a doctor, and he would probably not say that he knew early on that he wanted to be a doctor, but from my perspective, it was clear that his trajectory was taking him that way. He started out wanting to be a vet. He eventually worked his way towards being a doctor. But it was just obvious, like, hey, he's got a calling on his life, and that calling is to take care of people. And he does it. He's, he's a doctor, and he does it. He's a very good one. Again, he's successful. But probably the most defining person's calling in my life, in my understanding of what a calling should look like, was my mom's. <sighs> My mom grew up on a farm, and she also wanted to be a veterinarian, like her whole life. She, anytime the animals on the farm were sick, she was there taking care of them. If there was a vet out, she was there, like watching, like, "Hey, can I do that? Let me give them that shot." You know, let me do this. If there was a pregnant cow or whatever, she was there in the like she was helping it give birth. She was involved. She knew what she wanted to do, and she went off to college with that in mind. She went to Penn State University at the time was one of the best veterinary programs you know, in the nation. She knew what she wanted to do, but God had a different plan for her. About halfway through her schooling, she started to hear from God that he wanted her to be a teacher, and she wasn't having any of it. <laughs> so she would just argue with him. Anytime it came up, she would argue with him, and argue with him, and argue with him, and it came to a head, One day, she was in part of campus group saved for Christ, and they were off on a trip. I can't remember if it was a a retreat or a missions trip or what. But during that trip, she was having one of these like drag out arguments with God, and she was out, away from everybody. And wherever they were, there was like a lake, and there was a dock, and she was out on the dock. She's going back and forth. Just I, I'm not going to be a teacher. I'm going to be a vet. I've been going my whole life. You know, I'm already there. I'm like already in the program. I'm going to be a vet. I'm not going to be a teacher. I've already said it. I'm done. It's over and it's not like a calm day it's a really stormy day like you know i have this picture i've heard this story a bunch of times in my life and every time i have this clear picture of like cloudy lightning and thunder it's it's just about to rain the wind is whipping up and this is a northern storm it's not like florida where it's 5 minutes it's like one of those ones that's going to stick you know the wind's just blowing i imagine she was probably wearing a dress or a skirt and the, it's just flapping it all over the place, and she had long, dark hair, and it's just blowing all over the place, you know, all in her face and stuff, and she had her Bible with her, and at one point, she gets so fed up, she takes her Bible, and she just chucks it down the dock, and I imagine it in my mind, just sliding all the way to the edge, to the very end, it's almost going to go into the water, but it stops, and it flips open, and like I said, it is windy, but those pages are dead still dead still. And it's a Bible. You know, Bible has very thin pages. Like you can, a light breeze and they're going. But they're not moving at all. So she walks over, like, if this is a movie. There was all this crescendo of music, right? And then all of a sudden, nothing, quiet. She walks over and she picks up her Bible. And for the life of me, I can never remember. Every time I heard this story, I can never remember what the passage was. But whatever it was, it was a clear signal to her that God is in control. He knew what he was doing. She needed to get in line. And from that moment, she did. To her credit, she got in line and she became a teacher. And she taught all four of her kids, myself included. And she taught hundreds if not thousands of other children. And she had a tremendous impact. Like I said, Deep personal issue for me. She had a very clear call in her life. A very clear, like trumpet sounding. But me, on the other hand, I did not have that clear of a call. There was no equivalent to a big neon roadside sign saying, hey, turn here. This is the direction for your life. I have felt my whole life like I was wandering through the woods. And to me, Having a calling is like spotlights, clear direction, like the airline runway, you know, lighted the whole way. You know exactly where you're supposed to go, at least to the kid version of me. And so when I began to reach adulthood, and I was still struggling with this idea of what a calling was supposed to look like, I had a lot of questions. And I'm sure there are people in this room who have also had a lot of questions. And there are people in our nation, in our communities, who have a lot of questions about what their calling is and what it should be. So let's look at some of those questions, right? Just a few of them here, and I'm sorry, my slides may have gotten a little uh, messed up in the transition from when I made them to being posted up here on the screen, but here's some calling, some questions about calling. First, what is a calling anyway? What is it? What does it mean like we have this calling like is someone calling me on the phone is someone yelling at me like what's going on what's a calling is everyone's calling unique to them like do we each have some specific calling in this sort of like socratic or platonic idea of like the true self how do i if, if that's the case if i do have a unique calling for me how do i find it like, there's not some book that I can go and look in, you know, like like a book. I remember as a kid going to the Christian bookstore, and uh, they'd always have those name books, right? I told you all the meanings, and we'd just go, and, oh, there's my name, and that's what it means. And mine was always kind of boring. It just means a guy, a dude, a man. But uh, there's no book like that for calling. There's no number we can go to. You know, there's a 100 surveys online you could take, but... We all know how online surveys are, right? You know, like, I'm Ross from Friends, you know, whatever. <laughs> um, so how do I find my calling? And once I do find it, how do I follow it? If I didn't find it, how do I follow it? Can my calling change? You know, maybe I've been doing something for my whole life. My dad was in his 50s, and he suddenly needed a, had a big career change. His position got da- downsized at the job that he was working at. What's he supposed to do? He knew his whole life what he wanted to do, and suddenly he can't do that anymore. Is his calling suddenly change? What if I'm reaching the end of my life and I've missed my calling? What about that? But really, probably the biggest question of all is who's doing the calling? Where does it come from? Does it come from God? Does it come, like I was saying, from this like innermost self, this some sort of ethereal idea of this true self does our spirit just know who we're supposed to be? Is it the universe speaking out to us or the world calling to us? Maybe we're just a product of our environments. Maybe it's based on the needs of our community. But where does it come from? Well, how can we answer these questions, right? These are are some tough questions. Well, let's start out by just defining calling. What is a calling? I'm going to share with you two two definitions this morning. One I found and one I've come up with. The one that I found is by an author named Parker Palmer. He actually has a book about calling. I could not find it, so I could not read it, but I got some excerpts of it. And the way that he defines calling is something that I can't not do. It's a double negative. English doesn't like that. But it's a thing that I cannot not do. That no matter what I'm doing in my life, I find myself doing that thing. Not even on purpose. It just happens. So I kind of like this definition. I think it's, it's got a lot of good points, but I think it's got one glaring bad point. And that that is that this definition is all about the self. And I think a calling is something that is inherently external to who we are. Like, it may be about us, but it's how we interact with the world. And so it cannot be just about ourselves. So the calling, the definition that I came up with, which I kind of like, but I also feel like is not, totally accurate, adequate, is the mission that God has placed on your life. So I don't really like this word mission, but I couldn't think of another one because it kind of has this like connotation of a spy or secret agent. And for some people that might be accurate, but for a lot of people, they're on the public stage and it's very clear what, what God has in store for their life, or at least it seems like it. But it's really just the best that I can come up. And I think with, between those two, we can really start to get a good idea of what a calling is. Something that is sort of inherent to our behavior that we, we don't really choose to do, we just end up doing. It's the path that we end up walking, but that path was put there by God. It's the path that we were led upon by God. So we've answered that question. To answer the other ones, we need to look at the Bible. See, there's a lot of people in the Bible who have callings. I would go to, as far as to say, most of the name characters in the Bible have a calling on their life that is pretty obvious. A lot of them even have a pinpoint time event where their calling is delivered to them. You think of the prophets. All of the big prophets, what we call the major prophets, had this, like, vision of heaven, and God's like, hey, you're going to be my prophet, and you're going to deliver my words think of Abraham very clearly called out of Ur, right? Isaac maybe not quite as clear but he still has a calling Jacob, I mean Jacob's calling is like, he gets hit in the face with it Well, he gets hit in the hip with it, but you know what I mean Uh, the disciples I've got a picture of that up there, Jesus literally calls them, sometimes literally yelling across, you know, hey you guys over there come here He calls them. Elisha and Elijah, that's the guy, the two guys one of them is putting a coat on. Elijah takes his mantle, his coat, and puts it on Elisha's shoulders. Like, can you come up with a more heavy-handed metaphor? Like, if you're writing this in fiction today, your editor is going to be like, take it down a notch. We need a little bit more subtlety. Uh, What else do I have up there? Samuel, again. He's laying in his bed, and... God literally calls. He hears an audible voice saying, hey, Samuel, hey, Samuel, and he thinks it's Eli, he goes to Eli, and Eli handles this just like, uh, just, you know, classic dad move, he's like, go back to sleep. And it happens again, and it's like, go back to sleep. I mean, if, I, if it's me and my kids are like, hey, somebody's yelling in my room, calling my name, I'm like, what? What's going on? Let's go turn the lights on, come on, let's check it out, who's hiding in the closet? But Samuel's like, I'm tired, go to bed. And, um, you know, it happens a third time, and he finally clicks for Eli, and is like, just go ask it what it wants. And so Samuel does, and he has this call, like, very clear call again, right? But then there's a lot of characters in the Bible who don't have this, like, event, and they just show up one day, and they're doing the job. Like, I talked about Elijah. We have no idea when God or how God called Elijah. He just shows up one day preaching the word. The judges, most of them, you know, it's like 50-50. Gideon has a clear call. Samuel, 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 Samson's call comes from his mom and dad. That's kind of weird, right? So if we look at the Bible, we can start to get a picture of what a calling might look like. And we're going to focus today on two particular figures in the Bible. We're going to focus today on Moses and David. I think these two figures... Um, have a lot, if we look at their lives, they can teach us a lot about what it means to have a calling and to walk in our calling. So if we look at Moses' his life, and you guys probably all know it, we don't have time to read it all. It's a really long story. But if we look at Moses' life, he's born as a slave to the Hebrews in Egypt, right? They're in some form of captivity. He's born as a captive. Uh, even though the Hebrews are captive, Pharaoh's still like scared of them And uh, there's this rumor that goes around that someone's gonna be born into that people group that's gonna deliver them. And so he's like, that's probably, I mean, it's gonna be like a mighty warrior or whatever, so I gotta nip this in the bud. So he tries to kill all the kids. Moses' parents put him in a boat, a little basket, set him off to float. He gets saved by Pharaoh's daughter, irony of ironies, and ends up living in Pharaoh's house. raised in Pharaoh's household. Um, At some point, he learns that he's not Egyptian, that he's actually Hebrew. He begins to empathize and identify with the Hebrews, and he sees their torment. He sees their plight. He wants to do something about it. One day, he sees an Egyptian beating an Israelite, and so he decides to take action. He kills the Egyptian, instantly regrets it, hides the body. A couple of days later, he's talking to some Hebrews And he's like, hey, you guys need to tighten up. Let's go, get get it together. And they're like, what are you going to do? Kill me like you killed that Egyptian? He freaks out. He flees to Midian. In Midian, he meets Jethro, who is both a shepherd, very wealthy man, but is also a priest of Yahweh. And uh, Moses is taken into his household, married off to his daughter, ends up being in charge of his flocks, spends 40 years shepherding his flocks in the desert when he sees something strange, right? He seems a bush that's on fire, but it's not being consumed. And he's like, what's going on over there? I'm going to go check it out. He goes there and God's like, hey, Moses, what's going on? I've got a plan for your life. So God tells him that he actually wants him to go back to Egypt, bring his people out of there, and Moses is arguing with them, kind of like my mom argued with God. But at some point, Moses is like, I'm arguing with a burning bush that is a symbol of the most high God. I need to I need to get my act together. So he he acquiesces, he says, All right, I'll do it, but I'm gonna need some help. God sends him Aaron. They go to Egypt, he confronts Pharaoh, there's ten plagues. Eventually, Pharaoh's like, All right, get out of here. Um, there's the Red Sea. Then they go, they're they're finally free. The Israelites are finally free. Moses is in charge. He leads them to Sinai. Uh, God begins to talk to the entire encampment, and the Israelites are like, whoa, this is too freaky. We can't handle it. Moses, you go up there and you talk to God. We'll stay here. You just tell us what he says. We can't be on the hook for all this. It's too much. So he's, he becomes this go-between, right, between God and the Israelites, And in that role, he receives the law of God, not just the Ten Commandments, but the greater law of God. And he gives that to the Israelites. So, what is Moses' calling? First, his calling was to deliver Israel. Then it became to lead Israel. And in that leading of Israel, he was to represent both God to Israel, but also Israel to God. It went both directions. He was also a lawgiver. And then there was one more aspect of his calling that he had no idea about, and he had no way of knowing, but that was to prefigure Christ. He's a picture of what Jesus was eventually going to be. And Moses led Israel in a sort of political aspect. And Aaron was a high priest. But if we read that initial conversation he had with God, God wanted him to do both. Moses said, I can't handle it. And that's when God says, okay, I'll let Aaron do half of it, half the work. But in God's original plan, Moses was supposed to be the royal priest of Israel, both ruling and reigning, but also being the religious leader. And that is exactly what we see in Christ later on. So that's Moses. Let's look at David. Again, you probably know David's story, but just to go through it quickly, David is the youngest son of Jesse. Jesse's a wealthy shepherd. Um, God tells Samuel, the prophet in Israel at the time, to go and anoint David as king. Samuel's a little freaked out by that. He's like, if Saul finds out that I'm going to anoint another king, he's going to kill me. So God says, all right, we'll do it kind of in secret. We're not going to make a big fanfare announcement. We won't go public yet, but I still want you to do this. So David is anointed king, and he doesn't immediately take the throne. He just kind of goes back to being a shepherd. His brothers eventually go off to war, join Saul's army, and his, David's father sends him to take them food or supplies or whatever it is, just to check on them. And uh, David goes there. He sees the, the army of the Philistines camped on one side, the army of the Israelites camped on the other, and there's no fighting going on. The reason there's no fighting going on is the Philistines have a trump card in the form of Goliath, this huge, gigantic guy that nobody on the Israelite side is willing to take on. They don't feel equipped to do it. And David, being brash and young, maybe a little hot-blooded, but also full of confidence and trusting in the Lord, says, I'll do it. If Nobody else is going to do it. I'll do it. And so he goes to Saul and says, hey, I'll take care of this problem you got. Saul tries to give him his armor. Doesn't fit. David's like, this stuff out of here. I'm gonna do it. I'm not gonna do it your way, I'm gonna do it God's way. So he goes out there, you know, uses the sling, kills Goliath in one shot, um, takes out Goliath's sword, cuts his head off, and is an instant celebrity in Israel, right? He's immediately the most famous person in his nation. And so Saul brings him into his household, eventually marries him off to his daughter, but David's successes continue to pile up, and Saul gets envious of him. And Eventually, it reaches a point where Saul can't have enough, has had enough of David. He's like, this guy's too cool. Nobody likes me. Everybody likes him. So I'm going to kill him. He tries to kill him twice. David eventually gets the message. is out of there. He flees. Where does he go? Into the wilderness. And he doesn't go alone. Lots of people flock to him. So he kind of becomes this sort of weird, like, outlaw king. He's got his own army, but he has no land. I kind of have always thought about it sort of like the story of Robin Hood. You know, there's this good guy, but he's on the wrong side of the law, taking care of the little people. David has lots of misadventures during this. Sometimes he ends up living with the Philistines and fighting on their side within their internal squabbles. But if, it, if he ever has to fight against Israel, it becomes a problem, right? Eventually Saul dies. David is made king, first just of Judah, but then of the whole nation, Um, And as king, he has kind of like a mixed bag of a reign, right? He has some really good moments and some really bad moments. Some of those are Bathsheba. We all know that story. That's his own sermon. Can't go down that road today. Uh, There's the census, the weird incidents of the census. If you haven't ever read that, you can look it up later. But basically, Bathsheba's, the incident with Bathsheba costs him the life of his son. The incident with the census almost costs him his own life. But ultimately, he is humble and repents and returns to the way that God laid out before him. And one thing about David that we all know is David is a worshiper, right? We saw it during his reign in Saul. We see it when the ark is brought in. And that's one thing that David does for the kingdom. He kind of centralizes the worship in Jerusalem. Like, hey, I'm reigning here in this one spot. The, the political power is centralized, but the religious power also needs to be centralized. I don't want people looking at me. I want them looking at God. And so he brings, centralizes the worship in, Ju- in uh, Jerusalem. He wants to build a temple. He tells that to God, and God says, Not yet. Your reign has been too violent. I don't want my name associated with that violence but I will let you get all the materials for it. I'm not going to totally cut you out of this. I'm going to include you, But and I promise you, your son will fill, finish the work that you start. And he writes a lot of psalms. We know that as well. And he establishes a, another thing that's in David's story that he doesn't see the end result of, is he establishes this Davidic dynasty. right? So He has Solomon. Solomon's son also sits on the throne. Then there's a split. But those kings of Judah tie themselves to David. That's one of the ways they get their authority. And ultimately, it leads to Jesus, the ultimate authority, right? So his line also points, David's life points to Jesus. Moses' life pointed to Jesus. David's life points to Jesus. So what's David's calling? David's calling was he was a warrior, right? That's how he started out. He's a warrior. He becomes king. He's a warrior king. He's also a worshiper, so he's kind of like a warrior poet king. And he's a messianic progenitor. That last one, again, he didn't know. He had no idea about it. But it's there. It's true. So what, what can we learn from these two stories? What do these two stories teach us about our callings? And How can we use them to answer some of our big questions about callings? Let's start with what I said the biggest question was. That is who's doing the calling? Who calls David and who calls Moses? It's God. It's very clear in this story that the calling begins with God. In Moses' case, it's a direct conversation with God. In David's case, it's through the prophet Samuel, but it started with God either way. Our callings come from God. And if we don't get that answer right, we will not get the other answers about our callings right. We have to start there. We have to recognize that our calling belongs to God and he gives it to us. It's something that comes from him. Now, that doesn't mean that God won't use these other things that we've come accustomed to as being associated with our callings. That inmost self that a lot of us feel the calling coming out of God uses that. God will use our environments to show us areas that we need to act in that become our calling. So you've seen people out there who feel like their calling is to help the homeless or help unwed mothers or help sick people and it's something deep inside. They will say it just there's a burning feeling deep inside something in my inmost being it's put there by God, but it is it does come out of their inner self. Our gifts and our talents, a lot of times if you're looking for your calling, you'll be told, well, what are you good at? Who gives us those? It's God. But our callings, those, our callings can come out of these other areas, but they are ultimately subordinate to God. That world universe thing, that's just people's way of saying God without saying the word God. They don't want to admit that it's God doing it. There's some ethereal force out there that it's just God. God, you just don't want to give him credit for it. All right, so we've got that. We've got that one in the bag. We know they come from God, right? So let's look at some other questions. What what other questions did we ask? How do I find my calling? You know, if I never had a burning bush experience, if I never had a prophetic word from the Lord, if I never had a dream, if I never had an angel show up on my door, Um, If I never had that, what I said earlier, spiritual equivalent of a neon road sign saying, hey, this is your calling, how do I find it? And in the Bible, we see callings delivered in many different ways. We, We talked about that, right? Dreams, visions, prophecies, Samson's parents. So the avenue of our calling may come in a way that we don't expect it. But I think one surefire way that we can find our calling, is, um, if you remember my sermon, well, like, I don't know, nine months ago or something like that, that I called The Little Things, where I talk about the parable of the talents. And in that sermon, I said, these talents, we associate the word talent because it's so tied in English with our abilities, things we're good at. But in the story, if we look at it, it's really more like an opportunity that God gives us. You want to find your calling, look for the opportunities that God gives you to act he will do that. And the same kinds of opportunities might start coming up in your life over and over again. You might find yourself teaching people over and over again, or comforting people over and over again, or you might just feel inundated with, like, everybody in my life is sick. What am I supposed to do with that? Well, maybe God's saying, hey, take care of them, right? But the last thing I want to talk about with this is that callings often take time. You know, like my oldest brother, he knew in second grade what he wanted to do with his life, but I didn't. See, like for me, I was almost 30 before I even had the smallest inkling of what my calling was supposed to be. And it happened when my daughter was born. I was holding my daughter, and suddenly a light went off in my head. It was like there was a puzzle that had one piece missing? You know, if you ever try to put a puzzle together and like somehow the one piece is lost and you're looking all through, the, where did it go? Come on, I mean, there's only a thousand of these. It has to be somewhere, right? And you just don't feel complete until you put, like if you're OCD, it's really gonna drive you nuts, right? And so like that's how my life felt. I had a lot of things. I, was, I had a wonderful wife, I had a stable job, I had a college education, we lived in a house, Everything, all my needs met, but there's one piece, just glaring piece. I was part of a good church, but just one, one hole. And my daughter is born, and it gets filled. You're a father. That's my calling. I'm supposed to be a father, but I couldn't know that when I was in second grade. I couldn't know that in high school. I couldn't even really know that in college. I maybe started to get a, an inkling of it. And for you guys that know me and have known me for a long time, it's probably obvious. You've seen me with kids, right? Ever since I was old enough to not be called a kid, I've been the way I am with kids now. I've played with them, I've laughed with them, I've made them laugh, I've chased them around the church. Like to an outside observer, it's obvious this is an integral part of who I am. But I couldn't know it until the time was right. And God said, here you go, here's that missing piece. And since then, I've felt that calling permeate the other areas of my life. I've been invited to be an elder of this church, and in that role, I feel like a fatherly figure to many of you. Some of you are older than me, but I still have moments where God will call me to speak in a fatherly way to you. In my work, again, I work in fast food, so the majority of people that I work with are much younger than me. I'm in my late 30s, and the next oldest person's in their late 20s, so that's a whole decade there, and then the majority of them are like 18, 19, so like we're in a whole different range, like, you know, I literally could be their dad if I was a little bit more reckless with my lifestyle, you know, so I find myself at work, even though my job has absolutely nothing to do with my calling, living my calling at work, because they call me the Chick-fil-A dad. And every now and then, it's not every day, but every now and then I will be empowered to speak into their lives in a fatherly way. It has nothing to do with me. I didn't go looking for it. God said, I'm gonna use you this way. So if you're out there today and you don't know what your calling is, let me lift some of this burden off of you. It may just be taking time. It might just be taking time. Maybe you're not ready Maybe the world's not ready, maybe your community's not ready, maybe the church isn't ready, maybe the people that God has called you to impact are not ready for you to fulfill your calling, but it will come in time, in God's timing. So if you are there and you don't know what your calling is, maybe you are saying, what if I missed my calling? Maybe I took a left turn when I was supposed to take a right. Maybe I should have done a science major when I did a liberal arts major. Maybe I should have read this book or gone to that church or driven this car or bought that outfit. You know, whatever. We don't know. But maybe you're feeling like you've missed your calling. So that begs the question... Oh, oh, sorry, I'm jumping ahead. Or maybe you felt like you've been following your calling for years and suddenly you could no longer follow that calling. Did my calling change? was Was that not my real calling? What's going on? So you've got this question, right? Maybe you feel like your life has gone on track some way. And just because you feel like that, it doesn't mean that you've not been following your calling because you had a plan for your life, but maybe that's not the plan that God had. Let's go back to Moses. He spends 40 years in Egypt living like a king. He's forced to flee. He spends 40 years in the desert in a happy, comfortable life. You know, when he flees Egypt, I'm pretty sure he thought, man, I really messed up. I've blown it. See, I think that Moses knew what his calling was in Egypt. I think Moses knew that God was calling him to deliver Israel from the bondage of Egypt and i think he tried to do it his way i think he thought by killing that egyptian then the other israelites were going to rally behind them and they were going to take it by force maybe he thought they were going to take over egypt and they were going to turn egypt into the kingdom of god we don't know that i'm reading into it but i think on some level he knew and that's why he acted the way he did and so when he fled to midian he thought i've messed up i've blown it i've missed my calling i'm a failure And he spends 40 years putting the pieces of his life back together. And he's reached it, man. He's there. He's in the house of Jethro. He's got a wife. I think at this point he's got kids. He's got, you know, flocks that he's in charge of. He's like the second-hand man, you know, the right-hand man of the big boss. He's made it, right? I'm good. And then the burning bush happens. And God says, all of that was just the preamble. All of that was boot camp. I was preparing you for your real calling. He's 80, 80, and his life is only just beginning. Like my in-laws, they're not here today. They're in their 70s. I, they're retired. They're ready to just you know rest and relax the rest of their days. Can you imagine if God showed up on their door one day and said, hey, you thought you lived a life, but this is, your life's only just starting. That's what happens to Moses. And he lives another 40 years actually walking out his calling he thought he had it figured out twice and he didn't so if we feel like we've had it figured out it turns out we didn't that doesn't mean we've gone astray because god was teaching him in egypt how to be a political leader he was in pharaoh's court he saw how to rule and reign he probably he might have been like tutored you know we don't really know but he learned at least by example how to be an administrative leader. And then he spent 40 years under Jethro, the high priest of Midian, learning how to be a religious leader. Again, God had this calling and he was preparing him for it. God knew what he was doing, right? And God knows what he's doing in your life. So just because your calling doesn't look like what you thought it was supposed to look like at this point in your life, doesn't mean that god's not at work in your life that doesn't mean that you've messed up it doesn't mean that god's done with you the bible tells us that the gifts and callings of the lord are without repentance that means god's not going to change his mind about the things that he gives you to do right i told you you know my calling was for a father be a father and I thought when it happened that it meant my kids but my scope is changing so maybe you feel in this sort of like moment of equilibrium with your calling and that's because God is transitioning you from what you thought you this small focus of your calling and he wants to widen it you know this happened to Mario Mario followed his calling to be a campus pastor and at some point God widened it not just be a campus pastor over one campus but be an administrative pastor over multiple like he oversees multiple other campus pastors and that doesn't mean he's not following his calling to be a campus pastor it means that god widened his scope and then god changed it a little bit again like hey you're gonna have this church right there's mosaic and god prepared him for those roles and moved him into those roles when he was ready All right, so what other questions do we have? Let me clear up one thing. Our callings are not our jobs. Our callings are not our jobs. Just because you work in a job that may be attached to your calling, like I'm looking at Eric right here, and we all know Eric's a teacher and a good one, and I believe that God has a teaching calling on his life, but if he someday stops teaching in a school, that doesn't mean that he has given up his calling because no matter where you are, you can teach. Mario mentioned I'm a leading small group. I teach on Wednesdays. I'm not paid for it. I'm not looking to get paid for it. I teach at my job all the time. If somebody needs to know how to cook fries the right way, I teach them. There is a calling of teaching and it doesn't matter what the subject matter is. What matters is that you are approaching it the way that God has called you to do it. It doesn't matter what you do, like what you're getting paid for. What matters is the source that our calling is submitted to God and we're opening ourselves up to the opportunities that God sends our way. So if your job changes, your calling doesn't have to change. God will still use you in the way that he has planned to use you. And you may not know that God has been using you. Like Moses and David have two aspects of their callings that they had no idea about. They are pointing the, the, the picture to Christ and they had no idea that Christ was even needed yet. They didn't recognize it yet. Those prophecies that we know about Christ hadn't come yet, most of them. But they're still, God is still using them to lay the foundations. So there may be work that you're doing that is a result of your calling that you may not see the fruit of. That's okay. Because your calling isn't about you. It's about being the you that God wants you to be, right? And God is in control. So if we know that our callings come from God, we can trust God to work them out. You know, I like to think, going back to that verse that my mom read, that it was Proverbs 16, 9. Which says, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. We set out on a journey, and we think we know where we're going, but it's God who gets us to the end journey that he wants. He makes sure we arrive at our destination if we are willing to go to the destination that he's taking us. We don't need the GPS because we have God to lead us. So in closing, I want to talk to you guys who are struggling within this area of calling. And I want to give you, I want to help you find your calling. You might be saying, what if I have no calling? Or how do I follow my calling? And we ask that question, does everybody have a unique calling that is on their life? And I think the answer is yes. It may look like somebody else's, but it's given to you. It is your gift. God calls you to do it. So how, if we don't know where it is, how can we follow it? And if you are in this building right now, or if you're watching online and you say, I don't know what my calling is, I have no idea. What am I supposed to do? Well, let me, again, remove some of this burden from your heart, because there are some callings that are shared by everybody in this room. One of those shared callings is shared by all human beings. Every human being alive or who has ever lived share these two callings. One is to bear the image of God. That's what we're told at creation, right? Let us make man in our image. What does that mean? I'm going to borrow something from uh, N.T. Wright, which you've heard if you were down in our Wednesday group. Um, And he says that we're supposed to be angled mirrors, so, we reflect God out into the world. So, God is pointing down and we reflect Him out into the world. But we also reflect all that is good, beautiful, admirable, worthy back to God in the form of worship. And we reflect the needs of the people around us back to God in the form of prayer. This is what it means to be to bear God's image. That's what Moses was, right? He was the go-between, between between Israel and God. They couldn't handle God in his full form, so Moses, and they tried to have an idol too, right? They tried to have an image of God. That didn't work. So Moses was this go-between. So that's a calling shared by all human beings. The other is to accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And most of us have probably already done that in this room, but if you haven't, if you have never accepted Jesus as your savior, you will never find your personal calling because God Jesus is the one that gives it to you. You have to be submitted to him. You have to be a part of his family for you have to be one of his sheep. The Bible tells us the sheep know the shepherd's voice and they don't follow a stranger, right? So if we're not a sheep, then we're following the voice of a stranger. We're not following the voice of God who is giving us our true calling. Now, there's some more callings that are shared by all Christians. The first one of those is to bear the name of God. So we already are bearing the image as humans, but once we become Christians, we take his name. It's like in a marriage ceremony. Kim took my last name. You know, Lavella took Daniel's last name. You take the name. We're bearing the name. And she's become part of our family. We, we started our own family. Diana kept her last name. <laughs> They're laughing right there. <laughs> it's okay. Extenuating circumstances. But we bear the name, and that represents a deeper relationship with Christ than just bearing his image. There's a deeper level. It is now a marriage, not just like acquaintances but there's also deeper responsibilities. And again, this is a whole other sermon that I don't have time to go into. Another calling on all Christians is to become Jesus' disciple. Jesus called his 12 disciples, then he called 70 more, then he called 120 more, and then he calls the whole world to become his disciples. And once we accept him as our savior, our calling is to become his disciple. And how do we do that? By emulating him. We follow his teachings, we follow his examples, we try to live our life the way that Jesus lived our life, his life. And then the last calling that is shared by all Christians is the great commission. Jesus gave this commission to the entire body of Christ himself. Go therefore into all the world, making disciples of all people, teaching them to observe my commandments, right? That's a calling, it's, it's just as clear, as Samuel's audible voice in the temple, as Moses at the burning bush, you have a calling on your life that is shared by all people that Jesus gave us on the Mount of Olives. And then lastly, if you are part of Mosaic Church, so some of you here might be you know, visitors, it might be your first time, but if you consider yourself a part of this church, if you're a regular attender or a member, then you share in the calling of Mosaic. The Mosaic's calling is to represent Christ in our community. Right now we're located in Midtown. We started out over by campus. But wherever you are, that's your community. And Mosaic's calling is to represent Christ in that community. There's also a calling that we have identified in the form of our core values. So if you were here last summer, you heard the elders preach on our core values. You can go back to those sermons, or um, I believe they're on our website. If not, we can... We can, if you want to know, we can give them to you. But those core values are a part of our calling. We live them, we try to live them out in everything we do as a church. Another calling that is on our church is to minister to the local body. That's the people gathered in this room or the people that are a part of the church that aren't here. You know, some people are sick, some people are traveling, and we minister to them. How do we do that? Some of you are ministering to Me, by watching my kids on this morning, you know? Or on Wednesday when I'm trying to teach. Some of you are ministering by taking them a meal when someone needs that, when we do that. Sometimes just by hanging out with people. By saying, hey, I haven't seen this person in a while, let me call them." That's how you can minister to the body. And there's one more calling that I want to talk about that I don't know that we ever publicly talked about as part of Mosaic Calling, but we just kind of have seen it come up over and over again. As leaders of the church, we see it happening, and that's to tend to the broken. We have had multiple people come to our church who are brokenhearted. Some of them have been burned by other churches. They're on the verge of giving up on this thing called Christianity, and they come here and they get a second wind, and it has nothing to do with us. We didn't look for it, we didn't ask God for it, We didn't try, we didn't put up a sign. They just come. God sends them to us, and in his mercy, he helps us to tend to them. And honestly, I think this is in line with Jesus' own calling. See, Jesus, when he started out his ministry, he went into a synagogue in Galilee. He's given the scroll of Isaiah, and he reads from it, and that's in Luke 4, verses 17-17 a few more after that but he reads in Isaiah that the spirit of the lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recover sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the lord's favor and for some reason luke doesn't include one line that's also in isaiah to bind up the brokenhearted See, this is Jesus' calling. He's telling the world, this is my calling. And if you don't have one, let me tell you, there is no better one for you to pursue than Jesus's. If you are struggling with knowing what your calling is, pick one of these, any one of the list of like 10 that I just shared with you and chase after it, chase it. And I guarantee you along the way, God will reveal to you what your personal calling is. So I want to pray for you guys, but before I do that, I want to ask Mario if there's anything he'd like to to share or add or question or whatever. Okay, so let's pray about this. And if you're gathered here today, let's go ahead and bow our heads. If you're here today and you would say, yeah, I'm in that group of, I don't know what my calling is. I'd like to pray for you. If you're here today and you're in that group, that would say, I thought I knew what my calling is, but something's happened. I was chasing it for a while, and either something happened inside of me, I messed up somehow, or maybe the world changed and I didn't recognize it, or the circumstance changed and we didn't recognize it, but now I don't know what my calling is supposed to be. I would wanna pray for you too. Maybe you're in a group that would say, I know what my calling is. I know what I'm supposed to be doing, but I have no idea how to chase that. I know I'm supposed to go somewhere, but I don't have the resources. I know I'm supposed to do this, but I don't have the time. I know I'm supposed to teach this material, but I don't have the knowledge to do it. I wanna pray for you too, because remember, these callings are given to us by God and God is the one who empowers us to do it so take heart trust god let's pray god i thank you for all the people who are gathered here and i thank you that each one of them is here seeking you in their life god i thank you for bringing him, them here this morning so that I could speak to them out of my heart that that you've poured into me, out of my experience that you've led me in my life. I pray that they are encouraged, Lord, that they would no longer feel like they are wandering in the woods with no direction, but they would be able to trust you, trust that you are sovereign, that you're in control, that you have a plan for their life, God. For those seeking the first inklings of their calling, God, I pray that you would open their eyes, God, open their eyes to the opportunities you laid before them. Open their eyes to the path that you've already led them down, the ways that you've already begun to teach them and prepare them, God. And I pray that they would take heart and be encouraged and know that you are God and you love them and you have a plan for their life. For those that are floundering in their calling, that started out strong, but maybe they've lost momentum, they've somehow been discouraged, God, again, I pray that you would refresh that calling in their heart, Lord. I pray that your spirit would be poured out upon them to empower them to act. Even if their circumstances have changed, that doesn't mean that they can't be the person that you've called them to be and do the actions that you've called them to do and impact the lives that you placed before them. And for those that just don't know how to do about, go about it, Lord, I pray for guidance. God, I pray that you would put people in their lives that would show them the way, that would help them. Like you gave Aaron to Moses, I pray that you would give them a partner, a help, somebody who can lead them, guide them, disciple them so that they can be empowered to disciple others, God. I pray all these things in your holy name. Thank you again, Jesus, for the calling you placed on my life in the way that you've patiently, over time, revealed it to me. Gently, not overbearing, and with no pressure. I pray the same thing over all the lives of those gathered here. In your name, amen. We want to thank you for listening. We pray that you were blessed and encouraged. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to this podcast and listen whenever you like. To find out more about Mosaic Church, please visit www.mosaicchurch.com. TLH.com